Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back uh, to the New Books and in Indian Religions podcast here on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. More importantly, today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Simran Jeet Singh. He is the Executive Director for the Aspen Institute's Religion and Society Program. He's also the author of The Light We Give, How Seek Wisdom Can Transform Your Life, We'll be diving into the book. Before that, we'll be diving into his fascinating work. Simran, welcome to the podcast. Wonderful to be here. Thanks for thanks for inviting me in. Our pleasure. Could you tell us a little bit about the work you do, the Aspen Institute, uh, what it's like directing the program you direct? Yeah, sure. So it's a, a relatively young program at the Aspen Institute. Um, it's the Religion and Society program. It started about 10 years ago. Uh, by a Jewish woman who uh, looked at the surge in Islamophobia in, in the American context and, and recognized uh, what that must have been like uh, because of her experiences with anti-Semitism. And so she, she decided she wanted to do something about it. She started what was then called the Inclusive America Project. Um, and over the years, it's grown um, in size and an influence. And, um, and just this past year, we rebranded as the Religion and Society Program. And I think because of its um, genesis as a response to hate and prejudice, uh, the orientation towards this towards its work has been very much informed by a commitment to justice. Um, And so what I love about it is, you know, Aspen is is a think tank uh, in all senses of the word. And and that's important to me as an intellectual and someone who cares about uh, the research side of things, but it's also action oriented. And that's not something I typically find uh, in think tanks or even in academia. Uh, It's part of why I I felt compelled to step away from my own tenure track uh, position and to say I I wanted to do something that had more impact on the ground for people. And um, and this feels like it's just that our, our focus is uh, to help build religious pluralism. Uh, and, and that is very much a vision of um, creating a world where everyone can thrive no matter how they look or what they believe. And so we're very far <laughs> from that, unfortunately, given where we are right now. Uh, so it's, it's really meaningful to be part of uh, the culture change that we're all seeking to make right now. Could you say a bit about the particular tenure track or the particular discipline or training that you come from? Sure. So I did my uh, my PhD in South Asian religions. I, I studied at Columbia University. Uh, my advisors were Jack Hawley and Rachel McDermott. And, um, you know, when I started, I, I was very much... Actually, I did my master's at Harvard, and when I went there, this is where I really started to realize that there wasn't much opportunity uh, to study Sikhism as a, as a real focus area for, for research. And, and the advice that I received then, and, and Jack Hawley and Rachel McDermott really guided me in, I, I think, a smart way, uh, and it was disappointing too at the same time. They said, well, that this world doesn't really exist, at least on the teaching side. And to really position yourself for the market, you should specialize in Islam and Hinduism too. And, and part of the reason that it worked for me was because I was studying early modern uh, religious formation in, in North India. And so looking at the Mughal period, uh, the emergence of Sikhi, and also 
the the sort of diversity of religious communities at the time, you know, how could you do that and not study Hindu and Islamic traditions? Like, of course, that would be what I did. Uh, but their guidance to to really train so that I could be positioned to teach and and to find academic jobs. I mean, it worked. It was very wise and it worked really well. And uh, my first job out of uh, my PhD was in Islamic studies, uh, teaching down in Texas, which is where I'm from. Um, and then now over the past few years, I've been teaching Buddhist history uh, at Union Seminary in New York, which is where I'm based again. And so, um, yeah, that's it's it's sort of a an unusual uh, path. And one of one of the funny experiences is no matter what I do, and, and you might appreciate this to some degree, no matter, no matter where I land or what I do, uh, people are asking me why, why I'm doing it and why I'm qualified to do it, right? Like what qualifies a Sikh to teach Islam? Why is a Sikh teaching, teaching Buddhist studies? And, uh, there's something racialized about that, right? There, there's some expectation of who gets to teach and, and why they might be interested and who is quote unquote objective, uh, whatever that means. Uh, but yeah, that's been a really interesting part of my journey uh, on the academic side as well. That's fascinating. Um, so the professoriate's obviously uh, changing rapidly <laughs> uh, before our eyes in a variety of ways. And I think it's exceedingly challenging for um, young, intelligent, qualified, uh, able scholars to land jobs because they don't exist, or at least not in the same way as they once did. And so I encourage grad students uh, that whether or not one uh, seeks a professorship to start thinking about how to leverage their training uh, and monetize that, whether through content creation, whether through consultation, whether through um, online education, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I defended in 2015 and I have this, this, this very strange, uh, unprecedented path <laughs> of being a connected, productive, uh, hopefully respected <laughs> scholar that is whom, who is technically an independent scholar. Uh, but I do a lot of collaborations with institutions um, uh, teach at the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies. Um, I also serve as a chaplain of Indian spirituality, McMaster, et cetera, et cetera. So all this to say uh, that I, I can really relate and respect the need to diversify um, upon completion of a doctorate uh, so that your needs can be met and so that you can have the impact that you'd like. Uh, for me, my, my my activism is this podcast here. Let me let me share, you know, what's being produced in a neutral, supportive way. And there are a variety of factions, a variety of positions, a variety of methodologies. And uh, uh, as far as that's all concerned, I'm Switzerland on the podcast. It's just about getting the word out there. Um, so this, um, tell us about the journey about uh, behind writing this book. How did how did this book sort of uh, get conceived and developed? Uh, well, I, I can, because this is a podcast where people might be interested in the academic side, I can, I can share elements of the story that I don't typically share. Um, and the first is, you know, my, my dissertation uh, was on the life of Guru Nanak, the earliest accounts. And I studied the manuscripts, which we have, many of which we have available today. Um, and so I'm, I'm a textualist by training, a historian. And my dream uh, for a long time now has been to write a book about Guru Nanak, um, which this is, this is not that book. Uh, and I can tell you a little, a little bit about why, but the dream, the dream was very much alive um, up until, uh, up until 2016. And um, I had a great um, plan of action. I had a great proposal. I thought it was great. Um, 
I, I was well on the way towards putting this together as uh, a book for an academic press. And, you know, one of the things that happens in 2016 when Trump is elected is that I come back to the table and sort of bang my head against it and say, what, what are we doing wrong? Like, how, how do we get to where we are? And what do we need to be doing differently? And, and one of the, um, I, I don't want to be so dramatic as to call it a revelation, but one of the, one of the insights that I had in, in my own introspection um, was that there are many reasons why academic inquiry is valuable and one of the real challenges in the academy is that we don't do a good job of speaking to people out in the real world. Bridging, exactly. exactly. Yeah, so that, that to me was, and, and it had always been my interest, right? Growing up as a Sikh in America, um, I, I knew that the ignorance that Americans have about who we are leads to really violent and dangerous consequences. So it's not that I was unaware, but it was almost like a, it was almost like a slap in the face or a kick in the pants that was like, hey, go go do what really matters for your community. And again, like this is not to say one is more important, right? Like, of course, having a book about Guru Nanak, the founder of the tradition, there hasn't been a serious intellectual academic book in the West in over 50 years about Guru Nanak, right? It's it's wild. It's it's kind of unfathomable. And yet I had this urgent need uh, to get out in front of people in a, in a way that would really help ensure the survival of our community in the moment. And, and so to me, it, it was that, right? Like, how do I reach more people? How do I have a greater impact? And, and that's kind of the, the question that animates a lot of my work. What I started to do um, as I shifted course a little bit uh, was to start writing an introduction to Sikhism right? Like a primer that someone could use in a college classroom. And, and they started to do that. I, I've, I, I drafted a few versions of this in other contexts before, including for journalists. I, I felt like I was well on my way. And as I was getting ready to go with it, I was like, man, this is so boring. <laughs> like the, 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 the point that I've learned over time is that knowledge is not the only answer to ignorance. Um, I mean, it, it is part of the answer, but unless you're actually able to connect with people on a deeper level, behavior doesn't change. And we've seen that over and over again. And so I started working uh, with an agent, uh, you know, coincidentally, uh, maybe serendipitously around that time, a, a, an agent reached out to me and asked if I'd be interested in working on a book, uh, which of course I'm a nerd and I, that's what else would I be interested in? Um, and her suggestion, um, gentle, but also very wise was something I'd learned over and over through the years, which was you can't just hammer people over the head with information you need to package this as story. And that's how you change behavior. That's how you actually reach people, right? Like that's what would make someone actually pick up the book in the first place. And so that that's really the genesis of this book. I mean, it's it's a deep desire to serve my own community, recognizing our needs and trying to meet them, whether it's you know a historical academic text or it's a primer or it's a book that really, I think at the end of the day, like gives one perspective of, what it's like to be us in this country and some of the basic teachings uh, of Sikhi as they apply uh, to our daily lives and, and how I've used them and how they've transformed me and, and offering them up 
to people who might be interested in looking for their own self-transformation. So that's, that's the story of the book. It's kind of a twisted, unexpected journey, but I'm very, uh, very grateful for how it's all turned out. Well, uh, it's always a scenic route, right? And, and journeys are always unplanned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. If, they're, if they're planned, they're trips. <laughs> they're slightly different. Um, one, one, of the, one, of the, one of the many um, fascinating things you said is one of the uh, driving forces of my work in the world and um, as a scholar. And it's this, this, this truth that's so hard for most to grasp that human beings are moved by narrative, not facts. Whether we mean narrative in a fictitious sense or mythological narratives or narrative in uh, a scientific theory or a narrative in terms of a new story or a life story. And it's what comes to mind is the, in the conception of the human complex where it's not the buddhi, it's the manas. It's, it's, it's a storytelling mind that connects with people. It's a storytelling mind that makes meaning. And if the storytelling mind isn't a fed or massaged or assuaged or appeased or, uh, or enhanced, it doesn't matter how much information the person uh, has at their disposal. Um, what, um, yeah, so I don't, I don't just enjoy studying stories. I enjoy using story as a means of communication. How is the book structured? Tell us a bit about the structure of the book. Yeah, well, the book, I mean, the way to start answering that question is that um, is to share that I was incredibly uncomfortable with, uh, with, with how it turned out, not because I did something that I that went against my values, like I, I, I wouldn't have done that. Um, but really, it's structured as a memoir, which is not what I anticipated. And actually, uh, I, I, <laughs> I resisted quite a bit as I started working with my editor. And, and part of the reason I resisted um, well, one, one reason at least is that I, I don't think my own life is that interesting. <laughs> and and uh, I have this question about like, well, why would anyone care? And also, uh, you know, one of, one of the core teachings of our tradition and, and of the book too, um, is that our, that, that ego is the root of human suffering, right? That's a basic sick teaching. And to me, it just felt like telling a story through my own experience in this world, like how could that not be self-centered? And it's it's something I've struggled with in various moments throughout my life. Um, how can drawing attention to myself and what I go through in this country, how can, how can that be something that is selfless rather than selfish? Um, and over time, like I've, I've learned to find answers to those questions and uh, to recognize that it's in many ways, it's, it's what about what's in your heart, right? Like, what is your intention? Are, are you looking to build yourself up? Or are you looking to serve other people? And an education to me, the, the best educators I know are, are very much the latter, right? Like pedagogues, professors, teachers, when they are selfless, uh, those, those have always been the most effective teachers, at least that I've experienced. And so, yeah, that's, that's a long way of sort of uh maybe i'm just trying to get a little therapy session here as, you're as trying to you're trying to come to terms with you're trying to process still, uh, still, i can feel totally. it the the, the the life coach the spiritual counselor in me is picking up what's happening here or maybe you're picking that up in my kamashaya and you're responding to it I, anyhow picking it up it, it is i'm still coming to terms with it because i still don't think i'm that important but my editor 
was very uh, gracious in his in his guidance and and reminding me that all of us think our lives are normal and unexceptional, and I do too. But but his point was, this is a story that people haven't heard before, and that's worth sharing. And, and, and to do it most powerfully and authentically is to share it from your own lens, which I also understand. And it's what I teach, uh, but it's, it's still uncomfortable when you do it yourself. So it's, I, I wouldn't say it's a, a traditional memoir in the sense of, you know, it's not chronological. I'm not hitting every moment of my life or going uh, in order of events of what I experienced. Um, you know, I try and open up by, by sharing a bit at the outset of what my life was like growing up and, and sort of what formed my experiences, especially being in Texas as one of the only sick families, um, coming to terms with different approaches to dealing with the hate that came our way. And, and part of what I explore in the book is uh, even at this age, right? 30, whatever years later, uh, I still don't have the exact answers. And I think that's part of that's part of what I want to share. Um, there, I have some principles and some guiding frameworks, but there's no, there's no formula to any of this, just like there's no formula, uh, to, to living a good life. And so that's, that's part of the structure. And then the three core principles that, that guide the book, which I think are in many ways, the building blocks of sick theology that I try and trace and then bring out through story, um, are the ideas of oneness, what we in Sikhi call ikwankar. Um, the, the concept of love as, as, a, as a consequence of, of oneness, um, and then inspired by love, uh, the commitment to service and justice, which what I would offer, you know, in our tradition, we call as seva, um, is in many ways akin to what we think about as activism and justice in today's world, but, it, but in many ways it's quite different and it has some additional layers to offer that we could all benefit from if we understood it better. What would you, I have two questions in mind. I'm not entirely sure which one to ask. I'll ask this one next. What, what do you hope uh, folks might most take away from this book? Uh, it's a good question. You know, there, <laughs> This is this is me going back to, to needing the spiritual life coach because I my answer to this is well you 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 found one you found one exactly. against all odds <laughs> how can I help you what are you what are you struggling with <laughs> well you know what what I'm really hoping for there are many hopes for this book I think you know for me there are three in particular that stand out one is thinking about myself growing up in this country growing up in the West without much access to um, to literature that helps connect me with my own heritage. Like I want sick kids and adults around the country and around the world to read this book and feel like, oh, I, I now better understand my own tradition and I have more, more value for it. I appreciate it more. Um, and that's, that's very personal for me, just going from my own experience. Like that's what I wish I had growing up. And I've tried to write a book in a way that speaks to me uh, as, a, as a young kid growing up and looking for opportunities to connect and, and really struggling to find them. So that's one. A second is, um, I hope that this book serves as an on-ramp uh, for Americans in particular to start learning about their sick neighbors. Like that to me is an easy win. Um, you know, in so many other societies around the world, the challenges. 
that six face are are not the same because they are known and they are respected right where you are in canada or in the uk or in southeast asia i mean east africa all, all over the world the sick experience is very different and and what i'm hoping to offer through this and, and it's part of my own ethos now is is that if people can learn to see the humanity in the people who seem most different from them, uh, then they can maybe learn to see the humanity in everyone, right? So, so recognizing and appreciating who six are is not just a win for us, but for everyone uh, across the spectrum of difference. And, and I think that's super valuable. And then and the third is, and this is this actually came as I was writing the book more, and, and the shape of it sh- changed a bit. Um, like I actually. I've always felt that some of the sick teachings that we have before us could be really transformational to people if they just had access to these ideas. And so I, you know, I, am not coming in to present myself as some guru um, or some, you know, enlightener in any other kind of way. Uh, But what I really hope is uh, that people have the opportunity to engage with what I think are really profound and simple and practical insights uh, that can really help bring more happiness to their lives. And it's, it's a, in many ways, a very simple hope, right? Like, wouldn't that be great? But, but I really think that there's something interesting and powerful here that, that people will really uh, benefit from. Um, in responding to the, what, what folks might most take away from this book, uh, you also, you framed it, Interestingly, you framed it also in terms of who might most be interested in this book. And that was the other question I was mm. debating which one to ask you first. And you ended up touching on both. But, you know, so let me ask it uh, overtly. Who do you think this book is for? Who might most benefit from it? <laughs> well, I, I think the people who would benefit from it the most, I, I think probably my most interested audience here um, is intellectually and spiritually curious people of all stripes, uh, full stop. Like it's not a, you know, you need to be sick. You need to be South Asian. I mean, I, I really think that the people who will gravitate towards this book are those who, um, are looking for answers to life's biggest questions, uh, and have opened themselves up to different ways and and different paths of finding it. And, and part of the reason I, I share that as, uh, my expectation is because that's very much who I am. Um, and I think that's what my voice is. And I think that's what my life experience is, right? Like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm drawing from my experiences as a sick and uh, primarily from sick teachings, but because of my training and even just because I'm living in this country where religious diversity is a real thing that I'm, I've been exposed to since childhood. Like I'm also drawing from Christian and Buddhist and Muslim and Hindu teachings. Uh, and all of that informs me and who I've become. And, and I think there is a large swath of people, um, at, you know, even if we're not seeing it in our news stories today, uh, and, and even if we're feeling really polarized, there are a lot of us in the middle who are open and curious and seeking and really finding value and engaging with difference because it illuminates more about our world and it helps illumine uh, some of who we are from inside. Would you say this book um, 
Tell us a bit about the American context and the significance of the American context uh, for the reception of this book. Would you say it's primarily or, or, or uh, best received and understood um, by those living in and concerned with the American context? Uh, in some ways, yes. Uh, my experiences, you know, being born and raised in the U.S. Um, are, are very much American. You know, some of the most uh, seminal moments in my life that I that I speak to quite a bit in the book um, are my experiences with 9-11. Uh, you know, I was a high school senior then, and that was formative. And also, um, it also shifted the trajectory of my of my life and my career. Um, and so that's that's a very American moment. Um, and at the same time, it's a global moment, right? These are issues that have impacted all of us. And, and what I really try to do and, and what I think my Sikh faith tries to also uh, help us all see is that the challenges we face in many ways are particular, right? Like I wear a turban and have a brown skin, have a brown skin, have a beard. I look very different from most Americans. And because of that, I have different experiences. But what the what sick wisdom offers us is that we all have our own challenges. Uh, we all have different issues that we face every day. And, and the solutions to those problems, the answers to those challenges are not limited to particular responses, but they're universal in nature, right? How do we meet the difficult moments in life uh, without getting frustrated or angry or becoming hateful? And those these are things we all struggle with that we're all challenged with. And I think these principles for me and for all of us uh, could really provide us a different way uh, of engaging so that we're not always, um, you know, fight or flight. We're not always running away or pushing back, but there's, there's a middle path. And many of our traditions teach us uh, different ways of doing this. Uh, and that's, that's part of what I'm trying to offer in this book. So um, in, in terms of what we might consider the data, it's, 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 you know, it's probably overly technical a term for this sort of book, but what are you drawing on? You're drawing on your personal experiences, you're drawing on particular scholarship, you're drawing on particular teachings. What would you consider you know, the, the source for, what, for what the content of the book? Mm, yeah, it's all, it's all of it. Um, you know, the, a lot of the stories are coming from my personal experiences from, from childhood, from my teenage years as an adult. You know, there are stories about racism I felt as a kid. There are stories about, um, you know, my love for sports and, and the injury that finally ended it all for me and having to deal with that. There are stories about, um, you know, how I met my wife and, and what that showed me uh, with regard to love and then parenting to um, the pandemic and how, um, you know, my, our experience of COVID living in New York and being at the epicenter and choosing to stay there so that my wife could serve patients, um, even knowing uh, that she would be infected immediately, uh, what that taught me about selflessness and, and service and sacrifice. Um, it's, it's drawing from all of those, but uh, you know, what I would say is those stories from my life are almost, I think of them as vehicles, uh, to help readers get to larger, more meaningful, more universal 
perspectives and ideas of how, how do you meet these various moments in ways that you can walk away feeling proud rather than frustrated or disappointed with your response. And, you know, (laughs) I'll I'll share a funny, um, a funny perspective that, uh, you know, a, a college student last week, I was, I was talking to them about, about the book and, and sharing with them this idea that, that storytelling can be a way into people's hearts. And then you can share whatever it is as, as, as ideas. And, and one of their questions was, well, well, how do you, how do you write the stories that help connect you? And I was thinking to the stories that I share in the book and and I had this moment where I realized I hadn't thought about it in this way before, but I had this moment where I realized, um, well, so many of the stories I share are about my own shortcomings and imperfections. And, you know, I, I, I don't think I did that necessarily intentionally. I mean, I was intentionally vulnerable and tried to be open because I do think that the best way to help open other people up is by first opening yourself up. Right? Like, I think that has to be part uh, of the environment setting. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very much this experience of we are all imperfect and that's fine and we can all get better and that's great. And, and so it's that the, the other point about, um, or the other part of the answer to your question about sourcing is, um, I draw a lot from, from sick wisdom. Uh, there's, uh, quite a bit of my own worldview that's shaped by, uh, what we call Gurbani, the, the writings of the gurus, uh, as they're contained in the Guru Granth Sahib and other figures too, including, you know, Sufi saints and, and Hindu bhaktas, uh, who appear in the Guru Granth Sahib. So I draw from their writings quite a bit. And part of my interest in doing that is to demonstrate actually counter to what many people might think, or at least to their biases might be. Uh, There is some really uh, advanced progressive ideas that come from other traditions that come from Eastern uh, culture and and religious practices. And so there's that. And then the the last um, uh, point that I'll say about sourcing, is, is I also draw from, from Sikh cultural memories. And that is a really important part of our own tradition. Um, it is, it's, it's very much how I was raised to, to know about and appreciate who we are as people and where we come from. Um, and so I, I lift up many of these stories, uh, especially the ones that have helped shape me. And I think provide additional uh, depth to our current conversations on you know, everything from allyship to selflessness, uh, to, to love inspired service and, and all of that. So that's, that's a really important well from which I draw for this book too. You know, it seems, um, intuitive. I mean, the book, the book has many dimensions, um, teachings, both over internalized, um, it has the quality of um, a codified published journal at times, right? It's, it's sort of self-reflective. And, and of course, it seems to me instinctive, intuitive that um, wherever wisdom or life wisdom <laughs> is invoked, uh, first, what first has to be invoked is the, um, <laughs> is 
the lesson that needed to be learned to arrive at that wisdom. Mm. The, the issue, the, the problem, the conundrum, the, the false seeing, the misperception, the foible. I mean, that's that, that's the that's the uh, diving board, that's the launch pad for that nugget of insight that comes on the other side of that, it seems to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's so interesting to say it that way. Yeah. Um why is the book called the light we give <laughs> um you know every every title has its story and um my original title which i also liked quite a bit um but i didn't love love um it was more of this please and and the idea was was drawing from a story that didn't actually make it into the book um but one that i think helped helped see um, the goodness of people in a world where it can be really easy to focus on, on, on the negative. Um, but part of what I didn't love about the title was, um, yeah, I actually liked that it was somewhat ambiguous, right? Like more of what I that that's, that's a fun play to me. Um, but what I didn't love about it was, um, it didn't really, at least to me, speak to some core idea within the Sikh tradition. Um, and so, so we came up with the light we give, and there, there are many reasons for this. One of them is a secret, uh, that I haven't shared with my own editor because I didn't, I didn't want them to reject it, but uh, I can, I can share it now that it's official. And that is, I love Angie Thomas has the hate, the hate you give, um, and so it was, it was sort of a play on that just because I like the book. That's not the, that's not the main reason or the only reason, but it, it definitely crossed my mind that it's, it's fun to be connected to that in some way. Um, in, in Sikh teachings, we learn very early um, that everyone has the same divinity within each of us. It's, it's the first concept we learn. It's this idea of Ikongar that I mentioned earlier. And I think it's the foundation for all of Sikh teachings. And it's actually, you know, the foundation for what I share in the book. Um, and, and one of the metaphors that the Sikh scripture uses uh, regularly, and it's not just in Sikh traditions, this is true in many traditions. One of the metaphors used to indicate uh, this shared spark inside of us is light that we all have light and and so that that to me was very much on my mind as we were trying to think of of a title and and I wanted to also indicate um that it is something that is inherent uh that it's not something that we even choose to have um or to give, it's it's just there. And so I think the light we give has some sense of, you know, it's collective, it's all of us, there's no avoiding it. And 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 you know, there's a little bit of wordplay here in that when you give light, there is something active about that, right? You can choose to give it. Uh, but you also, you know, when when things radiate, they just give off light and they don't necessarily choose to give off that light. And so anyway, I you you can sort of tell that I'm a language nerd. Uh, and, I, and I love poetry as, <laughs> as as many six do because of our tradition and how and how the scripture is structured. Um, but I, I was trying to really draw from key elements and metaphors from our tradition that that speak to what I was what I was trying to communicate through the book. And I would say this idea 
that we each have light inside of us uh, and that we can share it uh, for goodness is, is a core part of what I'm trying to share within the book. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I can relate to having a book title in mind. That sounds great to you, uh, <laughs> but not so much to your editor. Um, so it, uh, uh, the, the two academic books have very straightforward <laughs> titles, The Goddess and the King in Indian Myth, The Goddess and the Sun in Indian Myth. But um, I recently produced a, 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 a public book called The Stories Behind the Poses. Mm. And it's called that <laughs> because of the wonderful woman at Leaping Hair Press who talked me out of um, mythology in motion, <laughs> which is more the title of maybe an academic article or something. Because I was thinking it, it's talking about, you know, the ways in which many of the asanas are named after mythic motifs and mythic characters and uh, oh, mythology in motion. No, no, no. The stories behind the poses. <laughs> so I can relate to your journey there. Um is there anything else about the book um, or, or anything at all that you'd like to share before we close for today? Um, you know, the, the only other thing I'd share, and this is, you know, thinking about who out there might be listening to this particular podcast. Um, it's, <laughs> I'm trying to think of how to share this with, in, in a way that doesn't sound cliche. Um, but but the, the, the point is that when I started writing this book, uh, you know, I'd, I'd long had a dream about writing books that met uh, general public audiences uh, that shared about the things that I care about, including my own tradition. And and for the longest time, I was told over and over again that uh, there's no market, um, that people aren't interested, that your people don't read books and buy books. And so uh, how do we know uh, that we will be successful? So like all of these things which you all have probably heard to some degree, whatever industry you're in or whatever field you're in. Um, this is just the story that often is shared with us implicitly and in certain moments ex explicitly. And, um, and so I, I don't, I, I don't want this to come off as like self-congratulatory, which, which I don't mean it to be, but essentially it's to say that if you can find the right way to tell these stories and you can find the right champions, then, then you can get there. And, and this is, this is the part that sounds cliche, right? Like just put your mind to it and, and then you can achieve anything. I, I don't mean that necessarily, although sure that, that too. Um, but it, it's, it's particular to those of us who live and work in these fields um, who are told over and over again that no one cares. And all it really takes is finding someone who cares and, and can help make it, sorry, can help make it possible. And so the fact that it's coming out with, you know, Penguin Random House, the world's biggest publisher, the fact that it's with um, the, one, of, one of Penguin's top uh, imprints um, and, and, you know, super... I, I'm super excited for that. And, you know, not just excited for myself, but also excited for what that means in terms of possibility for, for everyone out there who's listening. So it's, it's something that I wish someone had told me when, when I was younger in my career and, and really trying to figure out how to go and, and just to sort of 
whether or not you choose to do this, I think sometimes knowing that things are an option, like even that is agentive, right? Even that is, there's some liberation in just knowing that. And so hopefully, hopefully there, that gives some hope out there for, for all of us in a very difficult, <laughs> in a very difficult field. Certainly an, an inspiring series of thoughts to end on. Thank you for appearing on the podcast today. Thanks, Raj. Appreciate it. For those of you listening, we have been speaking with Dr. Simran Jeet Singh um, about his brand new book, 2022 Penguin, The Light We Give, How Sikh Wisdom Can Transform Your Life. Until next time, uh, stay well, keep well, as best as possible. Keep listening, keep reading, and keep contemplating uh, the power of Sikh wisdom and beyond. Take care.